This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Well, the main verse that we're going to be looking at for our, actually for our whole next uh, five weeks, no longer than that, for this series of lessons will be Matthew chapter 29, <clears throat> Matthew chapter uh, 28 rather, and, um, and uh, verses uh, 18, 19, and 20. We normally call this the Great Commission. And um, it's a commission that God has given to the church. Does everyone have a handout? Okay, we need one over here. <clears throat> the most important person in this room, right over here. I'm sorry? She's not. <laughs> she doesn't have an email. Well, she does, but she never uses it. She doesn't even know what it is. That's why she has me. <clears throat> She's going to be a world of hurt when I die. I told her this morning, <clears throat> I said, when you bury me, I want you to bury me in French cuffs with my cufflinks from Israel. These came from Israel. She gave them to me for, was it Christmas? Birthday, something. Anyway, <clears throat> when we were in Israel, the last time I was ogling them in a, in a shop, and uh, <clears throat> and when they when they see you doing that there, they take you in a private place, you know. So let let me show you these. And they tried to sell them to me, but they wanted a little more money than I wanted to pay. And so so I left. But she saw me looking at them, and and I don't know. She I, I was going to use a term that my father used to use, but I won't use that. I don't know if she got them down on the price. I don't know what she paid for them, but anyway. <clears throat> they turned up under our Christmas tree, and I love them. They're, they're from Israel. All right. <clears throat> Missions, God's glory in all nations. And the title of the lesson this morning, for the next two weeks, actually, is Taking the Gospel to All Nations. You got my email, so I explained in the email that <clears throat> each of these five lessons that we'll be looking at for the next, uh, for this quarter, uh, we'll, we'll take two Sundays each to cover the material. There's a lot of material. In fact, I've added a lot more material than what you have there in your notes, and I have a total of, with that one, what do I got, 13 pages, uh, but don't get upset, don't worry. We're not going to cover all that today. <laughs> We're only going to cover about half of what, of what you have in your notes, plus some that's not in your notes. And, um, and I trust it will be uh, helpful to you. Last year, we prepared for our missions conference by beginning uh, a series of missions. And Pastor 
or someone from the pulpit this morning, Pastor or uh, Pastor Brown, somebody, uh, mentioned from the pulpit this morning that we did that. <clears throat> and we taught five lessons on the subject of God's glory in all the nations. Well, we're going to continue that study for this fall uh, quarter. And um, <clears throat> uh, we didn't teach the whole series then. And then after this quarter, I think we're going to go back to Genesis again, pick up where we left off there. But anyway, uh, let just uh, by way of review, the first lesson that we taught last year was a lesson on God's passion for his own glory and, uh, and how, his central motive for, how, how it was his central motive for world evangelism. And then secondly, the second lesson was we looked at the, the biblical theology of missions and learned that missionary activity is rooted in God's redemptive plan throughout the whole ages, God. And then the third lesson was about the truth of Jesus is the only way to God through faith. And of course, that adds a great urgency to world missions. Uh, that's the reason why we have a missions conference. That's why we prepare missionaries. That's why we send missionaries out from this church. I thank God for the number of missionaries that have gone out <clears throat> over the years from Good News Baptist Church. And uh, that's the reason we have an emphasis on missions is because it's an urgent matter that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And, uh, and then uh, lesson number four, we taught that the local church is right at the center of world missions. Um, it's the ministry of the church. It's the mission of the church to be involved in missions. It's the mission of the church to do missions. And then finally, uh, last year, we presented the power of God in missions through suffering and prayer. And that brings us now to these next five lessons, uh, which will take each uh, two Sundays to, to get through. But let me ask you a question. And this is in your notes. In fact, you have basically my notes in front of you. I did that on, intentionally because there are areas to deal with in our study here that <clears throat> I don't know that it'll be new to you, but it'll be material that, that'll need further explanation. And uh, so, so, that there, so that you would have the material there that you can read on your own. I just, I just sent you my notes and took out some words that you had to fill in. <laughs> but since I sent those notes to you, I've added more to it. And uh, some of that'll be on the screen shortly. But here's the question. And can we know what it is? And that is a good question, by the way. If the answer to that question is yes, then there's some things that we need to consider as a church <clears throat> in the process of sending people out to do missionary work. There's an illustration here, <clears throat> and I want to read this to you. You have it in your notes, but follow along as I read it. Two ships are sinking at sea some distance apart. Both have large numbers of people on board, and both are, th are sinking equally as fast. You're in charge of a single rescue team considering a, a con a consisting of two boats that arrive at, arrived at the scene of the sinking ship that's near to your location. People are frantically crying out for help. But off in the distance, the second ship, which is in the same critical predicament, 
with people equally in need of rescue. You have limited time and resources compared to the desperate need, but you have two boats. What would you do? What would you do? If you focus all of your efforts and resources on saving the passengers of the first ship, you'll, you'll probably save more people than if you, if you diverted one of the rescue boats to the further ship. In terms of efficient analysis, it seems it would, be, it, it would make more practical sense to concentrate your efforts fully on the sinking ship that you're closest to. If you do, at least most of the passengers on that closest ship can be rescued, but all the passengers on the other ship will perish. What would you do in a case like that? That's a good question, but the truth is that sometimes churches use that same kind of reasoning in missions, which is a big mistake, I think. And uh, uh, would God have, have you use a similar reasoning reasoning in terms of deciding where to preach the gospel overseas? And that too is a good question. If so, should we then go to places where there are large numbers of people, where there's the most religious freedom, easy as travel, uh, and the most comfortable conditions? The answer to that question has got to be no. You say, well, preacher, that seems very reasonable. It does seem reasonable. And uh, it, it seems maybe practical. But the answer is no. Why? Because the verses of Scripture that we're using to base our lessons on today, found here in, in Matthew chapter 28, say this, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Whoa. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever command you, and lo, I'm with you always unto the end of the world. Our command, the great commandment given to the church is to go into all nations. Does that mean Good News Baptist Church has to go into all nations? Well, that would be an impossibility. We don't have enough missionaries to do that. But our effort and our plan and our, our uh, uh, model should be to reach as many nations as we can. And uh, I appreciate what Pastor's doing. I, <clears throat> uh, I didn't really know this, but I picked up on this, I think, in our last business meeting when... Uh, it was discussed about taking on some more missionaries, that our, pa our pastor and our deacons have a plan to scatter our missionary program out so that it, reach a it reaches a broader spectrum of people in the world instead of focusing on one country or another area or so forth. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about people groups that may be a new term to some of you, but it's an old term that's been around a long time, and, uh, and it's a term that's very, very important when it comes to this matter of reaching the whole world with the gospel of Christ. And I'm going to spend quite a little bit of time on that. So no, we know that's not God's instructions to us. We're not commanded to go where we can get the most converts 
in the strongest amount of time, in the shortest amount of time, or in other words, get the biggest bang for the buck. Um, we are commanded to go into all the world. Pages are stuck together here. Go into all the world. That's found in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, which is another statement uh, of the same commandment, same commission, but uh, it, it adds all to the world there. <clears throat> if, if we are obedient to God's command, we can trust God with the results that'll bring him the most glory. And that's what we ought to do in any instance, no matter what, what area of life it may be for a Christian, we ought to be willing just to follow God's plan for that part of our life. And a church should be willing to follow God's plan as far as missions is concerned and leave the consequences of that to God. God's going to get glory to himself. If we do it God's way, God will work it out to his glory. We can count on that. But if we try to figure it all out ourselves, that's, a, that's our problem. A lot of times we just try to figure God out. Forget it, you're not going to do that. You're not going to figure God out. God has given us his plan. He's given us his word. And if we, if we are dead sure and determined to follow God's plan the best that we know how, God will work it all out to his glory. And that's where we need to leave it, okay? So that brings us to Roman, Roman numeral number one. <clears throat> how can we know, at least in part, God's great missionary plan for great for missionary work how can we know that well first of all let's start with the great commission we just read those verses matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. so we can begin by understanding what god has revealed about his plan for missions in the bible and the starting point is god's great commission commission to the church which we call the great commission um, now <clears throat> we learn at least, at least three detailed parts of God's missionary plan that's revealed to us here in this Great Commission. So let's take a look at these three. First of all, letter A, we're to go into all the world. Boy, what a monumental task that is. Go into all, uh, into all nations, excuse me, the, 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 uh, the actual fill in the blanks there, is to go into all the nations. Use the word nations. If you wrote world down, cross it out, put nations, because we're going to talk about nations here in a minute. It's God's plan that we go all over the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just where we believe we can maximize our efforts with results. You know, this was, um, this was the Apostle Paul's approach to his missionary effort. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 20, for example, Paul says this. Well, he says that it was his practice to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that he would not be building upon somebody else's foundation. Remember that verse? That's not an exact quote that I just gave you, but you can look it up. It's Romans chapter 15 and verse 20. Now, that was Paul's calling. That was his mode of operation. It's not what God calls all missionaries to do. 
Nor, if you check the context of that verse, was it, Paul, was, it, was it something that Paul laid out. He did not lay this out as a pattern for all missionaries to follow. You see, Paul, in the, in the first century, when Paul was preaching the gospel, uh, there was very little of the world that had heard the gospel. And uh, so Paul determined that, that as he's breaking new ground here, that he would go into areas where Christ had never been preached. And what did he do? What happened when he went to those places? A group of people got saved and a church got established, right? That's what happened. A work got, got started. Well, if it was uh, Paul's plan to, to set a pattern for all missionaries, that would mean that nobody else would go into that territory. They'd have to find another place where Christ had not been preached. You know, that'd be, there are places today, but that would be, a missionary would be pretty hard-pressed. All the missionaries would be pretty hard-pressed to find a nation or country today where the gospel hadn't been preached. And so missions would be suspended. There wouldn't, wouldn't be a need for, pre, for missions. If that, was, if that pattern, if, that plan, if Paul's plan was set as a pattern for all missionaries today, you follow me, you understand what I'm saying? I know you do. Okay. Well, that was Paul's calling. Well, <clears throat> how do we know? How do we know that? How do we know that that was not a pattern that Paul set down for all missionaries? We know that because of this. Because Paul left some of his fellow missionaries behind in those places to build upon the foundation that he, he had laid there. And... Uh, and, uh, and we'll explain this a little bit later on in this lesson. But some churches have adopted the statement of Paul as their missionary policy. Thank God that's not our policy here. But that's a mistake. The commission to the church is still go into all the nations. Not just the ones that, uh, where the gospel has never been preached. Actually, and, I, and I've already said this. Actually, you would be very hard-pressed to find a nation where the gospel's not been preached. Maybe some people, but not a nation. In fact, there are some, there are some areas in America where you mention Jesus Christ and the people you're talking to have never heard of him. That astounds us, especially when, you know, um, uh, the gospel's preached on the television, it's preached on the radio uh, in America. I mean, you can turn the radio on anywhere in America and, and hear Christ preach, but not everybody listens to the radio, especially if it's a Christian station where the gospel is going to be preached. And uh, I was astounded. I forget who, I forget who told me this. Uh, somebody just recently told me that that they uh, they were trying to witness to somebody here in America, somewhere. I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't remember who did it, who said this. But they were trying to witness to somebody, and, and they mentioned Jesus. Says, "Who's Jesus?" You would think that that would be uh, an illegitimate question in America, but believe me, it's not. So there are some people here, even here in America, that have never heard the gospel. So let's move on. Roman numeral two. We're to take. We're to make disciples by teaching them thoroughly. Uh, the phrase teach all nations there in verse 19 
has the meaning of making disciples of all nations. Now, true discipleship involves more than just winning them. One of the most important parts of missionary ministry is teaching our converts the Word of God and how to live out the Word of God in, our, in, our, in their daily lives. And too often we win them and leave them to struggle on their own. And I'll be honest with you, I guess maybe I've been guilty of that on some occasions, of winning somebody to Christ and then not discipling them. But that would be tragic for a missionary to go into an area, set up a tent, preach an evangelistic meeting, have people saved, and then walk off the scene. That's a tragic situation. Thorough discipleship takes a long time. It involves a lifetime of teaching the Word of God to the converts, training them how to practically apply their personal lives, apply to their personal lives uh, what they have been taught and how they can teach others to do the same thing. Paul spent much of his Christian life as a missionary teaching one of his com converts, Timothy, how to apply the Word of God to his own life and then pass it on to others. Hear what Paul wrote to Timothy. This is, this is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And he's telling Timothy this. He says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, Paul's telling Timothy here, what I've taught you, by the way, and, and Pastor mentioned this in his message this morning, that, that Paul actually had one uh, Timothy, Timothy to Christ when he was in Ephesus. Even though he was brought up under the leadership, the godly leadership of his mother and his grandmother who taught him the Bible, they laid the groundwork, and then Paul, uh, Paul came along and preached the gospel in Ephesus, and Timothy says, okay, this all comes together now. And he received Christ as Savior, and that's the reason why Paul called him his son in the faith. But Paul began to mentor Timothy. That's what the two letters that he wrote to Timothy are all about, First and Second Timothy. And uh, so, Paul was telling Timothy to not only perpetrate or perpetuate the work that Paul had begun, but to, perpe to perpetuate Timothy's ministry also by discipling his converts so the work can continue after they're gone. Yeah, Paul went in and he preached the gospel, souls were saved, but he left, he left Titus and Timothy behind him in those localities to build upon the foundation that he had established there. And Paul moved on, preached some more, started another, other churches and left people there to do the same thing. And so he says, Timothy, now listen. He says, don't just win them and leave them. He says, teach them. Teach them how to teach others involve themselves. The only way a missionary has to make a church he's planting in a far, on foreign seal, soil, an indigenous church, is to teach and train the national converts how to study the Bible, how to do the work, how to pastor churches, and how to win converts and teach them to disciple their converts so the work can be, can be perpetuated. So, 
mission, missionaries have a lifetime job. The work of the missionary is not to just go into an area and win people to Christ, but stay there and teach them, get a church established, so established that there's somebody there that they have trained, perhaps someone that they've won to Christ, they have trained, they have mentored, they've taught them how to, how to study the Bible, how to pastor a church, how to, how to do this and that and the other things, apply, apply practically the Word of God to their own lives, set them up as the pastor of that church and then leave and go start another church. That's real missions. But that's not the only part of missions. There's more to missions than, than that. But that's, that's the way to go. Number three, uh, letter C, rather. We can go with the assurance that Christ's work will be accomplished. How do we know that? Well, Christ claims all authority. He says, all power is given unto me. All authority, the word power there means authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's in verse 18. And on that authority, he commands his followers to go. The word therefore in that verse, let's look at verse 18 again. Uh, verse uh, 19 again. Go ye therefore. Well, what's the therefore refer back to when you see the word therefore in the Bible? You, you, have, to, you have to ask yourself, what is, what is it therefore? And uh, so you go back to the former verse, and it says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, because that authority has been passed on to you, is what Paul, or what the, uh, Jesus is saying here. I have all authority in heaven, but I'm passing that on to you disciples to go, therefore to go and teach all nations, baptizing them, etc., and so <clears throat> the word therefore uh, gives us the assurance that if we go in the authority to make, we will make disciples. And so there's a cause and effect relationship here between those two verses because of that word therefore. We have further assurance though that Christ's work will be accomplished because he promises this in the next verse. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You see, we cannot fail when Jesus is our partner in the work. When we're working side by side with the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit of God upon us, you can't fail. You can't fail. Others may look upon you as a failure, but... what I mean. <clears throat> Archie Martin used to be a member of this church. Some of you will remember Archie. He's with the Lord now. But for years, he served in Scotland. He was a single man, never married. Uh, he was a single man serving in, in uh, Scotland. And, uh, and his... Uh, his missionary letters rarely ever mention it. What's he doing? Taking a parental vacation? No. My wife and I have been in Scotland. We were there a number of years ago. <clears throat> Archie happened to be home at that time on furlough. <laughs> so we, we, weren't, we weren't with him there, but we were with some other. We were with the benders. I think we support the benders there. 
we were with the Benders and some other missionaries that were there at the time. <clears throat> we were actually over there for Congress of Fundamentalism. But anyway, <clears throat> one of the things that we noticed when we were there, we were told this, but we saw it firsthand. You know, Scotland used to be on fire for God. And uh, John Knox came uh, out of Scotland. We went to John Knox Church. And, and to tell you what they really think of John Knox there now, <clears throat> if you go out in the parking lot of his of the church that he pastored, there's a about a foot square yellow mark painted in the parking lot. And we were told that's where John Knox is buried. Yeah. There's no marker there or anything, just that yellow square painted on the, con on the asphalt. And uh, there, there was, there was a, a placard in the church. And, uh, but anyway, Scotland used to be on fire for God. But you know what happened to Scotland? The same thing happened to Scotland that's happening in, happening in America, or has happened in America right now. They became gospel-hardened. As a matter of fact, we visited many of the ruins of churches in Scotland. You can walk all over Scotland and see ruined churches and some abandoned churches that have been turned into bars and different things like that. But you can go in some of those ruins and on the walls of those ruins are etched in the, in the walls, in the uh, concrete and the stone of the walls are verses of Scripture. There's enough scripture written on the walls of abandoned churches in Scotland to save anybody. But Scotland is a heathen nation today. They've abandoned God. In fact, the whole, the whole country gets drunk on Friday night. I kid you not. I kid you not. Uh, we invited our, the, the waiter at our restaurant or at the hotel where we were staying we invited the waiter to go with us to the conference on Friday night. He said, oh, no, that's my night to get drunk. And sure enough, when we were walking back from uh, the auditorium there in Edinburgh, back to our hotel, and by the way, we felt very safe there. It was kind of interesting. It was safe to walk around the streets at night by yourself. But anyway, as we were walking back to our hotel in this door in this doorway there was this drunk sitting there puking all over the sidewalk same thing in the next one and the next one and the next one it seemed like the whole city was drunk and uh, and so so <clears throat> Archie had a very hard time he worked primarily with children and he and he was able to win some children to the Lord but it's very difficult ministry there. And there are areas in the world that are like that. They're so hardened with the gospel, hardened from the gospel, that they don't want to hear the gospel. They'd rather get drunk. Well, where was I here? We're to go to all nations and make disciples 
And we know that God's promise will be, God's, uh, God's promises will be accomplished because all authority has be, been given to Christ and passed on to the missionary. But if the task is merely just to go to a nation and make disciples, is the task completed? Can we, can we end this, this course on missions right now and maybe teach stewardship or some other, something else? Has the gospel been preached in every nation on the earth? We might think that there are Christian churches in every nation state on earth, many of which are underground churches. But despite this, churches keep sending out missionaries and talking about the Great Commission as if there was still something else to be completed. And there is something else to be completed. In fact, we keep sending missionaries to difficult places where conversions seem to be very sparse. Why? Have they just uh, not been given the news? Or, or could it be that the word nation means something other than what we would think of, of the term as we've heard it or preached about or read about? That's the case right there. Our Good News Baptist Church Constitution makes this statement. It says, we believe that God has given the church a great commission to proclaim the gospel to all nations so that there might be a great multitude from every nation, tribe, ethnic group, and language group who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's commission is not defined by, how, by a limited or political, by a, uh, by a limited, excuse me, it's not defined by or limited to political boundaries or national borders. This is why our church constitution does not limit our reach to just nations or with borders. Rather, we seek to teach tribes, ethnic groups, and language people, language groups. And this is the true understanding of the word nations in Matthew chapter 28. A nation in its biblical context is not simply a sovereign state as we might think, or rather think of, rather it is a people group. And here comes this, this term, people group. Have you heard that word before, that term? You have, you're a missionary, and you've heard it, and you've heard it. Some of you have, but some of you have never heard that term before, have you? But it's a very prevalent term, prevalent term uh, in, the, in the area of missions. And so that's what we want to spend most of the rest of our time talking about the biblical basis for people group thinking. The concept of people groups with regards to missions is both biblical and it's significant. The way we understand this idea we, uh, will actually affect how we reach our mission, how we have our missionary outreach, and it will influence the degree of our involvement in God's revealed purpose for missions. Most of this stems from uh, from the difference in how we think the word nation, uh, how, we, how we think of the word nation as opposed to how the word is used and understood, uh, was used and understood in the first century. When people of the first century read this verse of scripture, they think of it differently, they thought of it differently than what we do today because they had a different understanding of the term nation. 
So, letter A. Um, verses of the Great Commission. We've already read those verses. But Christ has, has commanded his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. When you read the word nations, we usually think of nation states like Russia or Germany or the United States. However, this is not, this is not the word. Uh, this is not what the word means in the biblical context. And that's not how the first century readers would have understood it. Our method, uh, we mentioned this earlier, but, but let's, let's take a closer look at the Greek word itself that's translated nations. Now that word nations is a proper translation of the word, of the Greek word, but we have to understand what it actually means. Here's the Greek word, ethnos is the Greek word. And when, uh, when you understand that phonetically, and say it phonetically, what's a, what's a remind you of? Ethnos. Ethnos. How about ethnic? That's what it means. Ethnic. It's talking about ethnic groups. And so therefore, nation can be correctly described as a people group or as an ethnic group. All nations, which is translated, which which is, uh, which is translated from the Greek term, and I won't read that, uh, well, penta, ta, ethe, uh, can, be, can be thought of as all the ethnic groups. So you can see immediately when we say that, we're not talking about a country with borders or a, 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 a state nation. Um, and this is confirmed by scripture verses throughout the Bible uh, that speak of the gospel going around the world. Uh, and, and, in other words, the word ethnos has the natural meaning of people groups that have certain ethnic identities. So let's talk about it. Here's, a, here's verses in the Old Testament uh, that use the terms. This idea of people groups is also uh, supported by many verses of the Old Testament that use the term that that use terms that do not necessarily mean nation state. Many of these verses are promises and expectations that God would one day be worshipped by all nations of people in the world. And here's some of them. I'm not going to read all these because these are in your notes. But let me just give you a couple of them here. <clears throat> Psalm uh, two verse eight says, "Ask of me, and I shall give thee." the heathen for my inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for possession. Uh, Psalm 45, 17 speaks of the people praise thee forever. And then Psalm uh, 96, 3 speaks of the heathen, and then all the people. And Psalm, Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 18 uses the term all nations and tongues and so forth. But there's something interesting here. <clears throat> Um, particularly significant and fundamental, foundational, is the missionary vision of the New Testament uh, in the visionary a mission in the vision of the New Testament is the promise that God made to Abraham in chapter 12. We just studied that. 
And here it is, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God promised Abraham, he said, Get thee out of the country and thy kindred, and go to a land, but I, will, but I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, I will make thy name great, and, uh, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, in, and in, him, in thee shall all families of the world be blessed, all families of the earth. Well, what was the blessing that God promised to people through Abraham? Well, here it is. Paul states it in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. What's he talking about? He's talking about people who accept Christ. They will be blessed through Abraham. He's talking about people that got saved, believers, us that we're a part of the blessing that God promised through Abraham. <clears throat> it was the promise of salvation which was fulfilled on Calvary when Christ fulfilled that promise on the cross and offered redemption to all, of, all the world, everybody of the world. And so <clears throat> the Old Testament and New Testament is connected together here with the idea of reaching the world with the gospel. And then, of course, there's a verse in Revelation. Revelation 5 and verse 9. There's two passages here, but let me just read the one. You've got, the, you've got them both there. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, and thou, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God out of every, uh, 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 by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And similar verse, verses found in chapter 7. Now, Roman numeral number 3. What is a people group? I don't, I don't have much time to spend on this, so I'm going to go pretty quickly here. What is a people group? First of all, a precise definition of people group is kind of difficult to come up with. Uh, especially with, with what God has revealed in the Bible and what is not revealed. But secondly, God probably didn't intend for us to come up with a pre precise definition of people group <clears throat> since we would tend, this is an important point, since we would tend to suspend missionary work if we concluded that all people groups that fit our definition of the term had been reached, if we, if, if, if we put a definition to that term that was a pinpoint definition, we would say, well, the job's done. But according to Matthew 24 and verse 14, and I hope you'll look that verse up. Since the Lord has not yet returned, there's much more people groups to reach. And we should keep reaching them as we're commanded to do in the Great Commission. I wish I had time to go to that verse, but my time's limited here. I want to talk about this Joshua Project. The Joshua Project is a small group of evangelicals whose mission... <clears throat> is that the next slide? 
it's not, well, that's coming up shortly, but you can leave that up there. Um, <clears throat> but let me read this part. The Joshua Project, this is not in your notes. The Joshua Project is a small group of evangelicals whose mission it is to identify and track people groups of the world. Um, a statement on their website describes their work. Joshua Projects is, is a research initiative seeking to highlight the ethnic people groups of the world with the fewest followers of Christ. Accurate, updated ethnic people group information is critical for an understanding and, and for completing the Great Commission. And then they go on and say here that the two passages in Revelation that are there in your notes show us that there, there will be some, some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people before the throne. Joshua, and Joshua Network, this Joshua Project has done some incredible footwork for missionaries who want to follow God's call and reach out to a specific nation. They can go to this Joshua Project and get the information there that they need for a specific people group. So what is a people group? And this is on the screen. Um, <clears throat> follow on the screen as I read this. This is their definition. This is a definition of a, of a people group. For evangeliz evangelization purposes, a people group is, a large, is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. Now, I'm going to give you some further clarification of that. You understand, here's a, here's a group of, here's an ethnic group. And they can be classified as a people group if they understand each other. That's what this, is, this definition is saying. If they understand, if, if understanding each other is not a barrier. Very difficult thing for a missionary to go into an area and try to, try to bring people together that don't understand each other. And so you have to determine, is, is this a people group in which I can plant a church and work and get the gospel there so, uh, in, in such a fashion that it's not hindered in a way? Or do I have to separate this people group from this people group here and, and deal with each people group in a little different way so that they will understand the gospel? And um, some of what we're going to look at next week will further clarify that situation. Or acceptance. There are some people, there are some people that live together that don't accept the people over here on this side of the tracks. You know, and it's a hindrance to try to preach the gospel to them and try to preach the gospel to these people when they, these people don't accept these people. So there's two different people groups then. And you have to deal with those two different people groups in a different way, not, not a different doctrine or, or not a different savior. Well, that's not what we're talking with, but you have to approach them in a different way in order to get them the gospel. Then hopefully if they get saved and uh, they start understanding each other and have something in common in the gospel, maybe you can get those two people groups together and they'll become one group. 
mission, missions work can become a very complicated thing. Especially on foreign steel, we're emphasizing soil. We're emphasizing foreign missions in this study, by the way, more so than, uh, than domestic missions. So many of the missionaries that we support are faced with problems like this and, and difficulties in, in reaching different people groups if they're trying to reach two different kinds of people that where there's barriers between the people groups. It's hard to do such a thing. Anyway, let's move on. In most parts of the world, lack of understandability, of, uh, excuse me, understandability acts as the main barrier and is, uh, and is, uh, and, and it is appropriate to define people groups primarily by language uh, with, a responsibility, with the possibility of subdivisions based upon dialect or cultural variations. And such a list may, refer to, may be referred to as ethno-linguistic list of people. Ideally, people groups will always be defined by A, all individuals in a group that understand each other reasonably well. B, cultural relationship barriers aren't so high that the transmission of the gospel is seriously impeded. Are you following me? It's a little deep, but, uh, but if you study it, uh, you'll, you'll understand it. Now, what a people group is not While people groups can be defined by various combinations of ethnicity, language, religion, caste, or geographic, uh, geography, they're not defined by occupation, social status, education level, economic status, or political affiliation. While these do not define people groups, these, these, distinct, these dis distinctions are, are helpful for on-the-ground strategies. In other words, there are people, there are groups of people that are not people groups. For example, cab drivers, teachers, upper class, lower class, politicians, etc., are not classifications of people groups. There are groups of people but they're not people groups. Are you following me? Sometimes. Well, that tells me something. How many people groups are there in the world? Well, you have it on the screen. Some say 24,000, others say 17,000. Some suggest 11,500, others 13,000. Uh, which number is correct? Could they all be correct? Well, <clears throat> the many different answers to this question often cause confusion. Are you confused yet? Well, then what do you think our missionaries are faced with? 
What I'm trying to do is to give you a greater, a greater appreciation of what our foreign missionaries have to go through. Different sources quote significantly different numbers. Remember I stated at the beginning of this discussion of people groups that it's hard to come up with a definition of what a people group is, and yet that's what we're dealing with. I'm going to give you an illustration here in a minute. It's got to be a minute, doesn't it? If we're commanded to make disciples of all people, just how many are there? Of all people groups, just how many are there? Well, that question is not easy to answer. It depends on how, many, uh, how we define people group. The Joshua Project gives us an illustration of how complicated this can be. Let me share this illustration with you in closing, and we're going to go home from here. Let's consider the most complicated case. It's on the screen. India. If we strictly define people group by language in India, all individuals in such people groups would speak the same language. Uh, they would be in the same caste or, or tribe. Easily done. But where would that lead us? Now get this we would immediately create potentially over 20,000 people groups in India alone. Why? Well, using the data from OMID data for India, some castes speak 50 to 60 languages in India. Some castes have that many different languages among them. This, is, this would be overwhelming. That quote continues. It's not on the screen, but this would be overwhelming from, the, from a ministry perspective. Is this the best way to serve church planners and other workers in the field? And let me close with this one statement, and I promise you I'm closing with it, okay? Regardless of how many people groups there are, actually, there actually are in the world we have a commission from heaven to reach them all. This is a monumental responsibility for the church, and that's why our annual missionary conference is so important, and it takes every one of us to get involved to make our church task successful. You know, <clears throat> now, why did I go, why did I give you all that information that's confusing to you, and and uh, some of it you didn't quite grasp, and it's a little un misunderstanding, or, 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 or you, you, it's a little beyond maybe what you can comprehend without giving more study to it. Why did I do that? I did, this, I did that for this reason, to help you to understand how important the missionary program of Good News Baptist Church is and how important it is for us to pray for our missionaries that God will give them the wisdom to understand their mission, their field, the people that God's called them to work with, and the confusion and the complication among the various people groups that they have to deal with. It is not an easy task. Father, thank you for the Great Commission. And God, I thank you for 
the burden that you have placed before the church, our church, us people who make up the church, of the importance of the task set before us to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we understand that this church alone can't do it. It takes a multitude of God's people. But God, this church should do everything in its power to do what it can to fulfill that commission. And I pray, Lord, that you will help all of us to be intimately involved in the lives of our missionaries and in, and in our missionary program here at Good News Baptist Church. I pray, God, that you will make our coming missions conference one of the most successful missionary conferences we've ever had. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.